One of the metaphors I suppose we use to help people connect with true value is people don't buy drill bits, they buy holes. People don't buy the process, they buy the outcome. That is the voice of Glenn Carlson from Dent Global, formerly known as KPI or Key Person of Influence. They are a business accelerator program for businesses who launched in the UK, then grew into Australia. They're now launching in North America and Canada. These guys have a fantastic business model and a great framework for helping you become the key person of influence and helping you make the dent that you want to make in the universe. Glenn is also one of the speakers at our upcoming event, the Agency Accelerator, which is on the 4th of October in Melbourne. You can get all the details at events.wpelevation.com. This is a fabulous episode. I did have some technical problems with the audio during this episode because we were live streaming onto Facebook. So please excuse the technical difficulties. There's a few audio glitches uh, with myself and Len's voice at some point, but bear with that because the content is gold in this episode. Stay with us. This is the WP Elevation Podcast, helping digital creatives and agencies elevate. Just before we get into this episode of the podcast, I have a quick favour to ask. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on iTunes at wpelevation.com slash iTunes. Or if you're not an Apple user, you can get us on Stitcher Radio at wpelevation.com slash Stitcher. And please, if you are on iTunes, leave us a rating and a review. It really does help us come up in the search results and get the show in front of a wider audience. And we love your feedback and we read all of the reviews. Thanks in advance. Now let's get back to the show. G'day folks, welcome to another episode of the WP Elevation Podcast. I'm your host, Troy Dean, and we're live streaming this one out onto our Facebook page at wpelevation.com slash Facebook. That's where you can find that. And my feature guest this week is Glenn Carlson. Hey, Glenn, welcome to the show. Ta-da! Now, Glenn, for those who have been living under a rock for the last 10 years, give us the too-long-didn't-read version of who you are, what it is you do, and why we're here. Mate, well, short short story is um, our experience is the fastest way to create a breakthrough in your business or career um, is to show up and be recognized as one of the go-to brands in your industry. So my business partner wrote a book called Become a Key Person of Influence, um, and we developed an accelerator program around that. So it's a structured production process. It goes for 12 months. We work with business owners, typically between one and 10 employees. And over that 12 months, we help them really develop the assets of influence, if you will. We work with them on their messaging, their communication. We call that their pitch. We work with them on publishing thought leadership content. Um, we call that publish. We call them, uh, we, we build out scalable products so they don't have to sell their time. We call that product. Uh, we help them raise their profile online in the media. We call that profile. Uh, and we help them establish joint ventures and partnerships with the existing influencers and brands in their industry. So pitch, publish, product, profile, partnerships. And we create a high-performance environment around that production process. We bring in expert mentors. There's accountability groups. There's technology. There's you know all sorts of fun stuff going on. But ultimately, the idea is how to build a business that's not just meaningful and profitable, but but can actually make a real impact in the world. Our our overarching purpose, if you will, is we want to help business owners align their businesses uh, with some of the most meaningful problems in the world, be it the UN Global Goals 
or um, you know different causes because um, you know there's there's no point making money uh, and profit if there is no planet. And given that this is the uh, uh, the environment strike day to day, three days before the UN goes into their climate change uh, talks in New York, uh, I think it's always relevant just to bring it back to the fact that we've got to be up to something beyond making money. Well, there's lots to unpack there, and I do want to unpack most of it. But I want to start with the framework. You, you guys have got a great framework for taking people through this process. How important do you think it is to have frameworks to allow you to teach people what it is you're teaching them and then hold them accountable to the actual process? Well, I mean, look, a, a framework is just a, a concept model. It's no different to a map. Uh, try getting to Brisbane without a map if you're driving. Um you know, people don't take the mick out of a map because it's it's practical, it's useful. If you've been to London or Tokyo, you know, the tube maps there, they're not even accurate um, at all in terms of distance, location, anything like that. They're not to scale. They're not even in the, the right direction. Just a concept map that it help you get, get where you've got, got to go. go. So well, they might not be accurate, they're useful. Um, so we were just looking at, what, what is the consistent things that people do to build influence, to expand their reputation and to become known as the go-to brand? And, I mean, if you think it through, um, no, one's, no one ever succeeded um, that was terrible at communicating their value. Um, uh, typically what we find is that people build their ex- influence really quickly when they publish great content and so on and so forth. So all we've really done is explored what are the essential ingredients and we've provided them in the form of a recipe, if you will. So it's not like we went out looking for a checklist. Um, We went out looking for what are the essential ingredients that are required uh, for you to stand out and scale up in your industry. And that's kind of how it how it turned out and you know, models are also just really good for helping accelerate communication um helping to accelerate understanding blueprints checklists try building a house without a architectural plan um you know, a thousand years ago there was no architectural plan for how to build a house um literally people were you know packing mud and straw and quite literally shit together to try and get out of the rain um, and over time, best practice developed where now it's actually difficult to develop a house that's not the same as every other house. Mm. You know, they all have plumbing, they all have electricity, they all have, you know, a certain ingredients that go into the masonry and the bricks and the what have you. Um, and what we realize is that small, most small business owners, they do not have a concrete understanding of how to build their business. They might have their expertise, they know how to solve a problem for a customer, but when it comes to the architecture of their business model, um, they're kind of whacking together mud and sticks. And as a result, they're frustrated. They're stuck in the business. You know, everything feels like hard work. Um, and so, you know, we come along with a blueprint with an architecture to go, actually, this has been done thousands of times before. Um, stop trial and erroring this journey. Um, trial, trial and error is a bad idea. Um, if there are already very apparent, proven solutions. Um, trial and error is a great idea if you're working on an innovation that doesn't exist, but there's no point trying to work out how to make a light bulb work if light bulbs have been 
very much proven for for uh, you know 150 years. So that's kind of our approach, and so we structure it in a real clear framework. So people don't have to go through a whole learning process. They can just go, ah, oh, that's where I put the bricks. That's where I put the plumbing. That's where I put the electricity. Um, let's just get on with putting it together. And um, I, by the way, I read Key Person of Influence, uh, the book that Daniel wrote a long time ago. Read it on a plane once. Very easy read, super impactful, super practical, makes perfect sense. It's laid out. It's very easy to understand, very easy to follow. Um, and if you did everything just in that book, your business would definitely improve, you know, I, I don't know how many times, but the, the, the investment, the, the short investment of reading that book and the minimal financial investment of buying that book will pay dividends a hundredfold over if you just follow the advice in that book. How did you and Daniel come to this thing in the first place? What were you doing before you decided to start Key Person of Influence? And I believe that you guys started this in the UK. Is that right? Yeah, we started. So our first business was a company called Triumphant Events. Um, uh, we started when we were 21 and we were just looking for a hustle. We are looking to make money. Um, we were selling DVD vending machines. We were selling you know, natural latex mattresses. I mean, all high-quality products. I mean, we, we were selling DVD vending machines before they were popular. Hmm. Um, and so they became a huge global trend. Um, so we'd try and find great products that people wanted and then we'd kind of strap our sales and marketing experience which was all of like a year um around it to see if we could help sell more of them um and then we were approached by a property investor that had a course and a program and he said um would you promote me and we did and so we promoted him and we found it was far easier to promote a person Mm. far easier to attract the attention of a of an audience um when we were putting a person out the front than it was just trying to flog the benefits of a product mm. and that was our first little insight right it, that that people get more cut through than products and services so if you've got three types of brand in a business you've got a company brand like apple you've got a product brand like ipad you got the personal brand like steve jobs mm-hmm. right may he rest in peace uh, and so what a lot of small business owners are doing that they're, they're trying to build the product brand or the company brand. They've read the e-myth, they're trying to systemize and they're trying to hide behind their business. And yet the, the insight that we had way back then, this is you know, come, coming on almost two decades, um, was that people buy from people. Mm. Uh, not just that, people want to work for people. You know, the media want the personal story, mm. um, et cetera, et cetera. They don't want a faceless business. Now, you can get away with being a faceless business if you're, KPMG and you've been around for 70 years or if you're Nike. Uh, but if you go back to the start of how Nike started, if anyone's read the book Shoe Dog, which is Phil Knight's actual story, like he was the business. He was the key person of influence. He led from the front. He shared his vision, his values, and his value proposition. People trusted him, and so they bought the shoe. I can't even remember what it was called. It wasn't even called Nike, right? So that changed and it didn't matter. And so our argument um, became we're going to promote the person and let the person transfer their vision, their values and value proposition to whatever the product or service we're wanting to sell off the back. And that became a successful model. We we did a million in sales in our first year of that. Um, We grew very quickly to 10 million in sales. We're 24 years old at this point, quickly expanded to the UK. Uh, We were packing out big theatres, you know, 2,500 people in a a big conference theatre. 
We're doing about 150 events a year to the point where we started to really focus on the UK market and um, the Australian business kind of just stabilised. And then by that point, we're pretty burnt out. We're pretty um, happy with ourselves in the sense that we're making good revenue. We had a great team. We had good systems and a culture and all the things that, you know, we thought built a great business. And, you know, for a lot of young entrepreneurs, the holy grail is to sell and to exit. And so we put the thing up for sale. Uh, we got a um, an M&A expert to come in and bottom line, we couldn't sell the thing, wow. um, not for the paper it was written on. Um, and the advice that we were given is that we were the plumbers with the leaky taps. All of the people that we'd promoted We'd help them develop their pitch and we'd help them, you know, produce enough content to be visible and we helped them build products so our promotion would let them scale and they wouldn't bottleneck when there was this huge flood of new business. And we made sure they were Googleable and did partnerships and co-branded and co-alliance to build more trust. Everything we were doing for our clients was just to accelerate the speed of deal flow, right? Because money loves trust, right? So, so we were just looking for how we could help package our assets essentially, which was essentially our clients that we were working with. So we could attract bigger audiences and sell more stuff, um, making them very successful and very wealthy. But the irony is we hadn't done any of that stuff for ourselves. Hence, while our business had all of the tip of the iceberg trappings of success, revenue, team, a website, you know, shit like that inside, it was an empty shell. Um, because all of the the assets, I suppose, in the business were commoditized. We had a database, but no one's going to buy a hundred thousand people on database for millions of dollars. Considering at the time you could generate a new lead for a couple of bucks, so our hundred thousand people on database was worth a couple of hundred grand, which is pretty much what we're offered for the business. Wow. And we're like, yeah, but we've got all these systems and we've got all this AV equipment, we've got all this stuff, and it's like, yeah, but you can get all that stuff at the secondhand store. Mm dirt cheap hence your business has no value and we were like i can't actually underplay how we felt it was it was literally a combination of being punched in the guts and the throat at the same time mm-hmm. while basically simultaneously being told while well, you think you've been living on earth you're actually a martian like we, we just the whole game that we thought we'd kind of mastered was the wrong game. We were playing the wrong game. We had the wrong rules. Um, we spent eight years building a business that wasn't worth anything. And so the advice that we got, which proved to be good advice, is you've got to really do the work to identify the unique value, the unique internal assets that you can own, that can you can develop as different and unique and that you can own. And so when we looked at, you know, what were our superpowers, if you will, what were our unique IP, um, we were very good at building influences before that was a word. Like we were doing this in the age of fax broadcasting and, um, you know, advertising in publications. We were spending a quarter of a million dollars a month on ads, um, not Facebook ads, right? <laughs> um, you know, traditional ads. And, um, so we knew we had this method for producing gurus and speakers, um, but we'd never really considered applying it to a small business. And, of course, at the same time over that sort of period, small businesses was exploding. It was the renaissance of the entrepreneur revolution. Um, 
you know, corporates were dismantling themselves, consultants were booming. Um, and yet, because that competitive landscape was accelerating, um, these people were really struggling. They had great value to offer, but they weren't getting any cut through. And so, you know, we tested it. We, we tested applying, you know, the same methodology that we would apply to a speaker to a business where the business owner didn't necessarily want to be the guru. They didn't want to be a Tony Robbins or something, um, but they did want to stand out and get more cut through. And what we found is that if you apply, if you work with any small business owner, whether they're a consultant or a freelancer or a physio or a real estate agent, and, and if they've already established value and you then do some deep work with them on their core message and their pitch and, you know, how to articulate why they're different and why people should work with them over the competition and you spend a couple of months just going deep on that problem and then you switch and you build a content ecosystem around that business that helps amplify that message and then you build layers of content so a product so that business can scale and then you raise their profile on social media and you help them win some awards and some accolades and you know build out some speakers kits so the founder is invited to speak at some events and communicate that message to audiences and then reach out to do some partnerships with some existing brands and some of the blue chip companies all of a sudden you get this nucleus of value but now you've got this kind of a kind of an architecture around it which turns it into an entirely different animal and we saw businesses go from you know doing 50 to 100 grand a year as little consultancies to you know well over a million within a year like fast growth wow the the the, the key though is not like startups i don't know what i'm doing can you help me these were established businesses yeah they had a track record. They were consistently able to solve customers' problems and create raving fans on the back end of their business. Mm. Um, by bolting on these five principles, what we found is you could create raving fans on the front end of your business too, and you could scale that. And so that became our thing. Um, and to own the IP, we you know published content and did all the stuff. Have a top 100 podcast. I produce video content uh, around that. We've got our own internal content maps of everything that we create and do, etc. And um, you know we scaled back from, uh, or we expanded, I should say, back from the UK, which is where we launched the key person influence program. Then we launched it in Melbourne and then Sydney and then Brisbane and then Singapore and then Tampa, Florida. And now we're just launching in uh, Toronto in Canada as well. And so that shift of going, what is our superpower that we do? And it didn't have anything to do what we, with what we actually kind of thought we did. We thought we filled big events, but really we produced influences. Um, and then we own that to the point where we could scale it. And I guess that's the, that's the origin story with a few of the key insights in it. Love it. Uh, again, a bit to unpack here, but a couple of questions I want to ask. When you're selling websites to clients, which is what the majority of our audience are doing, they're either selling websites or they're selling SEO or they're selling social media or they're selling copywriting, which frankly are all commodity services that you can yeah. buy on marketplaces for pennies. How, yep. you know, like what's the number one thing they can do to start to differentiate themselves and get away from selling websites and, and unpack what their unique value is? Yeah, well, I think the first thing to do is just to see if you can disrupt yourself and disrupt your own thinking first um, and to not see the writing on the wall that a lot of those things are becoming 
um, automated, that AI tools and bots and machine learning is able to produce that better, faster, cheaper than humans. Um, you know, if, if you're not seeing that train coming down the tunnel, uh, you're not looking. So the first thing to do is to recognize that change is coming to all of those industries. Uh, it's not avoidable and no amount of wishful thinking is going to change it. It's no different than 120 years ago, you working on a farm with another couple of hundred farm workers and all of a sudden the farmer drives this fangled thing called a tractor and a, and a plow onto the lot. And we're just like, oh, it'll never catch on. And all of a sudden, 200 of us get the sack. Um, and uh, one guy that could drive and one guy that could connect the plow gets to remain. Uh, and all of a sudden, 198 people need to reskill themselves. So, first and foremost, change is coming. Um, the second thing that I would do, and this is the good news. One of the metaphors I suppose we use to help people connect with true value is people don't buy drill bits, they buy holes. People don't buy the process, they buy the outcome. People don't want a website. People don't want social media advertising. Um, people don't want any of those things. They're just tools. They're just a means to an end. No one wants to do my program. It's hard work. It puts pressure on you. It makes you think. Mm -hmm. Um but it is the most effective means to an end. Mm. Um, if someone else came along with a little AI bot that could just make you a key person of influence in your industry, um, people would do that instead. Of course they would. <laughs> um, and by the way, that is every quarter we run an activity in our company called um, Disrupt Ourselves, and essentially it looks like this. Me and a crack team leave the company with um, malevolent intent um, we start a competition, a competing business, and our entire mission is to put dent and key person of influence out of business within 12 months. What would we do? Wow. Um, and so a lot of that has to do um, with the speed of production, artificial intelligence, automated packaging, things of that nature. So then we come back with those innovations and we build them into our business, right? So the moment that someone that builds websites sits there and realizes, shit, I don't build websites. I sell the thing that those websites provide. So what is that, mm. right? And the moment it's like, oh, actually, um, I specialize in websites that generate leads. Well, then it's not the website. Like, let's say, forget the website. Let's say you could, you know, bring a stack of platforms like Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and you could do stuff on those that generated leads, the same volume of leads, maybe even better leads than a website would, mm -hmm. and they were coming into your customer's inbox, would they care that they didn't have a website or are they just happy with the leads? Mm. And I think what you'd find is that you'd discover that they're actually just happy with the leads. They don't care how they get them. Mm. Um, so the moment you realize that someone wants a hole and they don't really care if it's a drill bit or a tungsten drill bit or a diamond drill bit or a laser beam, for God's sake, that's making the hole, they just want the hole. Mm. In fact, you know what? Turns out they don't want the hole. They just want the picture on the wall. Correct. And so 3M comes along with a sticky hook. There you go. And all of a sudden, I don't even need a toolbox in my house anymore. I don't need to buy a drill bit. Yep because I can buy a sticky hook that I can stick on the wall. Mm. And so all of a sudden, 3M disrupts the home drill bit market because mm. we don't need to drill holes to get the same outcome because, oh, shit, you thought it was about the hole. Mm. No, it's actually about what you want the hole for. And mm. so it's about step one, 
what business are you really in? And I promise you it's got nothing to do with what you think you do. Yeah. No one cares about you. Right. No one cares about your product. No one cares about your service. You do because you're so close to it. Mm-hmm. All they care about is an outcome and a result. We see this over and over and over and over and over again. And the moment you can connect to what that actual result is, more often than not that creates anxiety in you, mm. right? Because you go, holy shit, that's what they want, but I'm not, like, we're not geared up to really deliver that. We just sell websites. Well, I got news for you. You can either wrap that anxiety in excuses that cause you to put your blinkers on, or you can start innovating and go, okay, now we know where our seat of value really lies, you can start to innovate and the pressure is on and the responsibility is on for you to innovate and reverse engineer. Let's say websites are going to be obsolete. Mm-hmm. not saying they are, but that would be an interesting game to play. If, mm-hmm. if in five years' time websites were totally irrelevant and we look back and go, ha, remember those websites, <laughs> how do people still get the outcomes that they want to have? That would be an interesting game to play and that is a game that I would play if I was in the website building game or the SEO game or any of those tactical tool based um, games now once you get that then you want to start communicating that message because here's the thing if you look at what 95% of SEO slash website building companies are promoting they're promoting we'll do your SEO and we'll build your website which is essentially saying we'll sell you a drill bit mm-hmm. Um, People don't want drill bits. They want the outcome. So just the moment your communication shifts Mm. from pitching the functional commoditized drill bit to pitching the outcome that a customer wants, even if you are still delivering that through traditional means like websites and and, um, and SEO or whatever, the mere fact that you're all in on the outcome is the most powerful thing you could do to differentiate yourself in your industry without having to radically shift your whole business model, although I would encourage you to be doing that on the side as well. Exactly. Love it. Um, For those who are listening to this and who live in Australia, Glenn is going to be speaking at our event on the 4th of October in South Melbourne. It's called Agency Accelerator. So pumped Uh, with this. And Glenn is very generously flying down uh, from uh, Sydney to speak at our event, um, and it is uh, events.wpelevation.com is the link that you go to to get all the details there. Uh, Glenn Carlson is speaking along with John Bellamy around LinkedIn and Kim Barrett around Facebook ads. I'm super excited to have Glenn there on the day. So if you live in Australia and you're listening to this right now, get on over to events.wpelevation.com and grab yourself a ticket. There's only a handful of tickets left. Hell, if you don't live in Australia, grab yourself a ticket and fly <laughs> in for the day. Get on the plane. It's going to be worthwhile. Um, two things I want to unpack. One is we on the day we're talking about products. We're going to be talking about products. Um, can you give us the like the hundred meter sprint version of the four different types of products you need to have in your business? Yeah. yeah. So the first thing to realize if you break productizing into two broad, well, if you break business into two broad categories, um, you got to attract the business, then you got to deliver the value. Right. So attracting the business, call it sales and marketing. Mm-hmm. Delivery, call it delivery. Right. That is where the majority of business owners get stuck having to deploy the majority of their time. They're the two primary things. So at this point, time is our enemy Mm. in the sense that if we are throwing our time at sales, marketing, and delivery or our team's time, time is one of the most expensive things you need to pay for. Mm -hmm. Um, 
It's often not apparent to small business owners because they don't pay themselves what they are actually worth. Their true value is an off-balance sheet hidden cost, and so they don't see the true cost of time, right? So for anyone listening in, the first thing I do is if you're worth a quarter of a million bucks a year but you're only paying yourself 80 grand a year and you put that quarter of a million bucks into your P&L and you realize just how much time is supplementing the survival of your business, well, then it becomes very painfully obvious that the fastest thing you've got to do is how do you make that time more efficient? How do you create more value with every hour of time deployed? And so we use um, this concept of assets, developing business assets. So just an analogy, um, and then I will get to the four types of assets or products you've got to have, but I think the concept concept stack is important first. Um, so if you think of an asset like a tree, an apple tree, so an apple tree is the asset that yields the fruit, like the apples, right? So we would say an asset is anything that continues to produce new value even if you're hands-off, even if you're sitting on a beach in Bali, mm. right? So it produces new value. Um, so we want to look at what are the assets we need to build that aren't time-based that serve the sales and marketing function, mm-hmm. and then what are the assets we need to build that serve the delivery function. And so I break it into four categories, two steps in each. The fruit we want at the very start is attention, mm-hmm. right? Attention is the lifeblood of all business. In the same way in a rainforest, the sun is the major growth factor. The more sun a tree gets, it'll grow faster. It'll attract more sun. It'll grow faster. It'll attract more sun. It'll grow faster. So there's this compounding effect. In business, people make the mistake of thinking money is the growth factor. It's not. It's attention. The more attention you can get for your business from either clients or potential team or media or whatever – That's the key thing that makes everything easier. But the way most people are running around trying to get attention, there's too much of their time being deployed against it. So we need to develop some assets or products that capture the attention of the market. Mm -hmm. Attention is not enough. We then need to build relationship and trust with them. And again, that's normally a manual process. Let's have coffee, let's meet up, let's have chat, let's have meetings, let's do a needs analysis, let me let you know I understand you. And so what we need to do is take all the IP that you would otherwise deploy to do that face-to-face and how do we develop assets that build trust and deepen trust in the market. And so, you know, some examples of that could be as simple as having an ecosystem of blogs, articles, white papers, reports, um, you know, content with great headlines, videos, podcasts, all of those things capture the attention of a market. Um, To deepen that trust, uh, maybe you might write a book or a mini book or have a really comprehensive special report. Maybe you've got an online digital diagnostic tool that helps people really benchmark or heat map some of the problems or challenges that they've got that they can do in their own time, right? And all of a sudden, because they're consuming your content, multimedia stuff they can watch, read, listen, do, because they're going deep into this rabbit hole and ideally this rabbit hole is helping them diagnose and self-reflect on some of their problems and the causes and the consequences and because they're getting to know you, like you, trust you, 
and it's simultaneously building this tension between the problem and the prize and that they're realising that they don't have the optimum situation anymore. And all of this is essentially automated through these digital scalable assets. We're able to get a lot of sales and marketing bang um, for both our buck and the amount of time. Now, it can take time to produce those assets to make sure that it's the right content in the right package. But once it's produced, we find this is where our clients start to get that order order of magnitude growth because all of a sudden, um, for a very small deployment of their time, they're able to get a very big and consistent yield of high-qualified inbound leads that are pre-sold um, on their thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then the moment that you don't have to deploy your time anymore to make sales – or a very small amount of your time to make a lot of sales, um, then you want to move your focus to the other side, which is the other two um, yields you want to get, which well, we want to generate revenue mm-hmm. and we want to generate recurring profit. Mm-hmm. Um, so we essentially apply the same principles. How do we take the outcome, right? So when we get to what does your client want, let's say it's leads, so then we want to create, I, I like the analogy of the Henry Ford production line, and we want to reverse engineer, right, what is the steps along the way required, what is the production line to get that outcome for the customer. So it's very outcome-focused, process-driven. And people will argue, oh, but our clients want high touch, they want high relationship, they want high custom no, it's just not true. They want the result and they want the outcome. Um, and often the reason that they want high touch, high custom is because you haven't given them a better option. Yeah, 100%. Um, and so then recurring revenue is just an extension of that, which is instead of so much the complete and remarkable solution um, or that upfront packaged uh, solution, it's more about ongoing servicing and support or providing people with useful tools or whatever it might be in an ongoing way, whether that's a, a SaaS type model, whether that's a servicing type model. But essentially, we want to get recurring revenue uh, out of uh, out of people in a way that we can continue to serve them on their journey. So they're the four assets. We want assets that yield attention, that yield trust, that yield revenue, and that yield recurring revenue and at the workshop uh, I'm going to go through examples and case studies on each of them so people can kind of really get a a 3D view of what this could look like if it was mapped to their business. Love it. And just to dovetail what you said there and also to reference Henry Ford again, remember your, your, your customer doesn't actually know what they want because if, if you give, you know, as Henry Ford said, if I gave my customers what they wanted, I'd give them a faster horse. But when you put a car in front of them, they're like, I actually, I just want to get to where I want to go faster. I don't care about the vehicle that gets me there. Um, So uh, just to be contrarian and and throw a spanner in the works here, what happens if you come across a business owner who says, well, I don't want to be, I don't want to have a public profile, Glenn. I don't want to, you know, I don't want people looking at me and judging me and maybe critiquing my work. And also... I want to build a business that I can sell one day and I don't really want to have my name attached to it and, and be the key person of influence. So like, are there any risks around that that we should be aware of? Um, so that it's all, it all tends to be drenched in fear and a lack of personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, can, can someone build a business from behind the scenes? Of course. Um, it's really, really, really hard. 
because uh, people don't buy from people. You're not Nike. Mm. You're a little business. Mm. No one knows you, likes you, or trusts you. And the to the 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 challenge of building that trust in a faceless business is very hard and very expensive. Mm. Um, and takes a long and so, time. And so, what I would say to the business owner um, that that kind of has that mindset is just to look at like any of these businesses that you think can't sell, like Ogilvy, for example, which sold for a billion dollars and is still worth over a billion dollars now. Um, Ogilvy was a very successful ad executive. He wrote a couple of books back in the 50s, Confessions of an Ad Man and etc. Um, and as a result, he landed some of the biggest clients of the day like Coke and General Electric, etc., etc. Um, and he built one of the world's most iconic advertising agencies. Um, he's just one example of a key person of influence that named the business after himself. See, the key, the mistake that people make is that they think by leveraging their personal brand um, that their business won't be valuable. That's only true if they stop at their personal brand, right? But when you use that personal brand to grow the growth of your product, and product brand and company and company brand, essentially, eventually, the product and the company brand get large enough and strong enough and robust enough and influential enough on their own that your personal brand isn't required anymore, which is why Steve Jobs can die and Apple has continued to be, grow in value, which is why if Richard Branson got hit by a bus, um, you know, obviously we don't want that to happen, but Virgin would not crumble. Mm. And yet Branson says without a shadow of a doubt, if he hadn't have got out the front of that business and made some noise at the start, there is no way Virgin would have ever got off the ground. And so um, if you look at any of these big businesses, if you look at like there's no way job, there's no way Apple would have become a successful business unless Steve Jobs got out the front because no one knew what a computer was. Mm. They didn't even know how to relate to it. They had to relate to him mm. before they could relate to it. So one of the thing, one of the reasons people don't, because here's the thing, I, I find business owners don't tend to want to be invisible because they don't want to take responsibility. Most business owners say, yeah, I'm willing to take responsibility to build the vision of this thing, to communicate the value proposition. Like I'm willing to do that. What they don't want to do is they don't want to be an attention seeker. They don't want to be a shameless self-promoter. And that's the mistake in thinking that being a key person of influence means seeking attention or shameless self-promotion. The reality is those things are repulsive. Mm. And if you look at you know, Scott Pape in Australia, the Barefoot Investor, if you look at Jamie Oliver in the UK, if you look at Oprah, if you look at Branson, if you look at these, if you look at Brene Brown, if you look at Sheryl Sandberg, if you look at these heroes of our time, they're not attention seekers. They're not shameless self-promoters. They are just committed to their vision, to their values, and to the value proposition of their thing, and they're willing to take personal responsibility for sharing that message. Mm. Um so that is our argument, and that we find makes business grow better, faster, cheaper, more efficiently. And then when you put those now surplus profit, because now you can attract great people to build out your product and build out your company, um, well, then you are far more likely to build an organization that has some, um, some uh, value to sell. But let's be really clear. 
companies really only sell if they're doing more than 10 million in sales and 2 million in profit. Anything less than that, and you've got a dinky little lifestyle business that is not worth selling. Mm. So you're better off recognizing that for the vast majority of small business owners, you're not going to sell your business. Mm. You're just not. The, right. the, it's, 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 like, it's like playing tennis. You could very easily get in the top five leaderboard at your local tennis club, but the likelihood of you winning a Grand Slam at Wimbledon is insanely small. Mm. So our argument is you're much better off building a profitable cash-generating business that's impactful, that serves its clients in a meaningful way, but is also a platform for you to share a powerful vision, value, value proposition to your audience and gives you a platform for meaningful impact or gives you a platform for profit as well. And then, um, you know, park some of that money uh, into some assets that uh, that are, in fact, worth something. And, and so that's, that's our argument, a, a practical look at the landscape. Um, really takes exiting off the table for most people. Mm. Um, building a faceless business when it's a micro business um, just isn't effective. And anyone that's been trying to do that for years and years and years and years and years just needs to look at their own results. Um, so what we find is when people apply this principle of, you know what, I'm going to focus on building my personal reputation, leading from the front and seeing what happens, everything turns on. Love it. I could seriously talk to you about this for days and I'm looking forward to doing it again in a couple of weeks on the 4th of October at uh, um. Agency Accelerator events.wpelevation.com is where you get your tickets. There's only a handful left, so get along there and secure your ticket there. Glenn Carlson, thank you very much uh, for your time. Look forward to hanging out in a couple of weeks uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, unpacking more of this and just congratulations for everything you're doing there with Dent Global and uh, keep up the good work. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Events.wpelevation.com is where you get tickets. I'll speak to you again next week on the podcast. Until then, I'm Troy Dean. Go Elevate.